A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk. Here's your host, Jason Davis. Good morning, everybody. Happy Monday. We are just a little bit late, but we are underway. Soccer Morning right here on WorldSoccerTalk.com. Happy to have you. Lots to cover as we roll into a new week coming out of a big weekend around the world in soccer. Plus, deadline for transfers in Europe happening right now. We'll get to all of that. We've got our friend Christian Hennage joining, uh, joining us in just a couple of minutes here uh, to talk through the Premier League weekend and maybe take a look at the transfer window as it gets ready to close. It's Monday. It's, uh, it's, it's a Monday that has caused a major problem here as I seem to have lost my internet connection. All right, let's roll through. Let's roll through the headlines here as I wait for my internet to get better. So this is all for you. Uh, for you podcast people. I'll start with Jurgen Klinsmann calling in a 23-man roster for two September friendlies against Peru and Brazil. Michael Bradley, Clint Dempsey not named to the initial squad. They will join the team for the match against Brazil, the second of the pair. Josie Altidore returns to the squad after being dropped during the Gold Cup. Striker Andrew Wooten of SV Sandhausen gets his first ever call-up to the senior team. Jermaine Jones back in the team after an injury kept him out of the Gold Cup. And Matt Beasler also back in the team for the first time since February. Tim Howard returns after his sabbatical. Fabian Johnson, Timmy Chandler, Kyle Beckerman, and Nick Romando all left off due to injury. We now go to the Premier League. Chelsea falling 2-1 to Crystal Palace at Stamford Bridge. Jose Mourinho's second-ever loss at the bridge as Chelsea manager. Manchester United 2, Swansea 1 at the Liberty Stadium. West Ham throttling Liverpool 3-0, trouble there on Merseyside. Manchester City beating Watford 2-0 in Arsenal, 1-0 over Newcastle on an own goal by Colaccini. In MLS, Seattle gets a big 2-1 win over Portland. In a rivalry matchup, Brad Evans scoring a win on, the winning goal on a penalty kick. Oba Femi Martins with his 10th goal in just 14 league appearances for Seattle. San Jose beats LA 1-0 on a goal by Shea Salinas. Red Bulls crush DC United 3-0 at Red Bull Arena. Bradley Wright Phillips scoring twice. The win puts New York two points back of DC in the Eastern Conference. TFC beat Montreal 2-1 at BMO Field. Bradley and Outdoor with goals. Sebastian Jovinko off with an injury. He'll still join the, the Italian national team this week after being called up. Montreal's Frank Klopas became the first MLS head coach fired in 2015. 
Losses against Philadelphia and TFC over the last two weeks did him in, plus a loss in the Voyagers Cup final to Vancouver. He took that team to the CONCACAF Champions League final, but it did not buy him a full season. Kevin De Bruyne has finally moved. His transfer saga is over. He'll go to Manchester City for a £55 million fee. That's $85 million. Belgian, the Belgian international returns to the Premier League after making just three appearances for Chelsea two years ago. And again, today is transfer deadline day. We'll watch that closely. Elsewhere in Europe, Atletico Madrid stays on top in La Liga with a 3-0 win over Sevilla. Roma strikes the first blow in the Serie A race with Juventus with a 2-1 win at home. Bayern Munich beats Bayer Leverkusen 3-0 to stay perfect. And so does Dortmund stay perfect, that is, with a 3-1 win over Hertha Berlin. All right. So I'm still dealing with internet connections, which means the live show is not happening. But that's for you podcast people. Let's come back and grab Christian Henej on a very troubling, trying Monday morning. Soccer morning. WorldSoccerTalk.com. This Friday, the U.S. Men's National Team returns to action when it takes on Peru at RFK Stadium in an exhibition game. For a different experience, I'd like to invite you to mute the TV and listen to Matt Lichtenstager on Rabble.tv as he shares his thoughts and analysis live during the International Friendly. With Rabble, the concept is simple. All you have to do is tune into the broadcast on TV, press the mute button, and then head on over to Rabble.tv to listen to the broadcast on your desktop, through your iOS app, and now through your mobile browser. You can join in too by posting your questions or observations in the comments section. And if you have an iPhone, install the Rabble TV app and add a comment to the broadcast message board. Then listen live via the app. Or why don't you create your own broadcast called one of your team's games? It's easy. Sign up for free today and try it out. Join Matt this Friday at 7 p.m. Eastern for USA against Peru on Rabble.tv, where it's your team and your call. Welcome back to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk with Jason Davis. All right, so uh, the internet doesn't like me this morning. I don't know what I did. Well, Christian, Christian Hennage, who joins us now, has an idea, but we won't go into that. <laughs> Christian is, is here, and we'll talk a little Premier League, maybe dive into some MLS as well. Uh, Christian, how are you? I'm not too bad, thanks. How are you? I, I'm, I'm doing okay. Uh, I'll get better, hopefully. Well, this will be a good discussion, and everything will be right with the world. Uh, let's uh, let's look at the Premier League results from this weekend, Christian. A couple of stunning results, and I think it starts at Stamford Bridge. Crystal Palace beating Chelsea, uh, if I'm not mistaken, and maybe my stat's wrong here, but I believe this is only the second time that Jose Mourinho's ever lost at home at Stamford Bridge. I don't know if that's a league stat or, or across all competitions, but it certainly doesn't happen very often. No, it doesn't, and, and the last time was uh, was against Sunderland, um, a similar 2-1 result, so He's got a history for that narrow 2-1 loss at home. I think it, it's kind of thematic for the Premier League, though, that home wins are, are seemingly increasingly harder to to attain in, in the Premier League, and it's difficult to ascertain why. Perhaps it's a mental thing, because people now see the home form as so invaluable in keeping you up, because if you can win just over half of your home games, you 
pretty much 90% there to staying up for that spin. So it puts more of a pressure on. And I sometimes wonder, and it's something I've been curious to ask a lot of players, is can there be a real freedom in playing away from home? Because really, you're in the minority. Not much is expected of you most of the time if, if you're kind of your average Premier League side in this Crystal Palace visiting Chelsea. And so you don't really arrive with any of the tension of, of knowing or thinking you have to win because actually you're expected to be beaten quite convincingly. So it means you can play with a, a freedom that you can't necessarily play with at home. Uh, we know that, look, we know that there is a, an overwhelming advantage for Chelsea in terms of the talent that's on the field against a club like Palace and against Sunderland in that last loss. Uh, it, it, what, what do you account, f- how do you account for the loss then? How do you account for Chelsea failing, uh, you know, failing to keep, to, to keep Crystal Palace out and then also uh, only putting the ball in the net one time against a team that they really should dominate. I think you touch on the, the immense talent that uh, Chelsea have. That's fantastic. But the problem lies in the fact that if you have a weakness that can be exploited, in this case, Branislav Ivanovic at right back against any kind of real pace, then it kind of negates the fact that the other 10 players are very good. Because if you can target that one player in the right way, which I think credit to Alan Pardew, he did, um, you're going to have problems. And I think as we've seen very early on this season with Jefferson Montero when, when Swansea went to Stamford Bridge, Branislav Ivanovic does not do well with pace. Now, the unfortunate thing for him is he's trying to get a new contract with Chelsea at the moment, which means he could be arguably dealing with, with better on-field performances to justify that extension. I think, realistically, what you'll see from Mourinho is Cesar as Piliqueta moving across to that right back and then Baba Raman, the uh, defender from Augsburg, he'll come in at left back just to give them a bit more pace. But I think you could very easily argue that the problems of Ivanovic, i.e. a lack of pace, are a problem of Chelsea. There isn't a significant amount of pace really throughout that spine of the team. The centre-back areas have struggled with pace. You saw John Terry sent off against West Brom in midfield. Fabregas's lack of mobility, ability to cover the grass is a problem. And then up front, Costa is as fantastic as he is as a bully doesn't really have the pace to get in behind defenders and really stretch teams, which I think is something they, they need to start doing. Uh, I, at this point, uh, Diego Costa taking on the, uh, the the villain role with Gusto, although that uh, hasn't seemed to help Chelsea so far at the start of the season. Now, you know, obviously we, we view Chelsea's results not only in a vacuum because they're, uh, you know, uh, a superior side to, to almost everybody that they face, but also in relation to what's going on in the rest of the league. And, and really, it's down to City right now because we identified those two clubs as most likely to win the title this year. Chelsea is defending champion. City with a lot of moves. Into, in fact, we'll get to the most recent one here in a moment. Uh, they went 2 nothing at Watford and continued to, to roll on this, this year. Is it becoming, is the separation enough that you can start to say Chelsea should start really worrying about their, their league campaign in terms of a title or... You know, as la- as was pointed out last year, uh, there was a gap, and then Chelsea gave it up, and then they ended up getting it back and, and ultimately winning the title. Is-, is there still hope here? Of course, there's still hope. I think you you remember a few years ago when Chelsea hammered Wigan six nil very early in the season. We all assumed that that title race was done and, and completely dusted very early on. But the truth is, is that it's far too early to tell because a really poor run of form is very much just around the corner for either team. Injuries suspensions, all these kind of small issues that you can't really um, predict now could very easily crop up. And I think to to say that, that Chelsea are either out of the race or, or anything like that is, is a little bit naive. What I will say is that they need to be concerned without question. Um, they need to address the form 
And I think they also need to accept that their business in the summer just wasn't good enough. It wasn't quick enough. And if you compare it to, to last summer where Fabregas was done and dusted quite quickly because they knew what they wanted in midfield, um, it hasn't been the same for me this summer. That They've taken far too long. The, the problems they've identified have come near the end of the window and it means that the players who are arriving, like the aforementioned uh, Baba Raman, they're coming well into the season and having to adjust not mid-season, but with the season already underway, which is very difficult for any player. Mm. Uh, let me let me before we move on to uh, to a couple of other interesting results, including what happened to, to Manchester United uh, against Swansea. Uh, again, City stays uh, stays uh, perfect, four wins, four matches, and they add Kevin De Bruyne. Um, this is the move we've all expected to happen. It comes in. At I believe uh, fifty-five million pounds, which uh, is probably I think I think it's the second highest fee ever paid by a by a British club for a player. Uh, you know he didn't get a chance at Chelsea. Really, he had some injuries. He went out on loan. Is this is this going to work? And and how quickly you just talked about fitting players in when they come in late in the window? How quickly can Kevin De Bruyne hit the ground running, or do they even need him to? They can work him uh, in slowly, considering how well they've been playing. I think. You've, you've hit the nail on the head there yourself. The fact that they've started so well means there is no pressure to throw De Bruyne in. The, the slight concern, and perhaps this is, again, Mourinho letting his mouth uh, cause problems for other teams, is that story he tells of Kevin De Bruyne coming in every day crying that he wasn't playing. Um, and that mentality of, of perhaps not being willing to sit on the bench and expecting a team to be moulded around him. I think <clears throat> if you look at the team tactically, Jesus Navas is the player that is likely to drop out for, for De Bruyne in, in the starting eleven, And and it's a huge opportunity for him and a huge test because, again, it, it's a very rapid rise in terms of he left Chelsea last year for, I think, 18 million to join Wolfsburg. He's had a, a very good year at Wolfsburg and now he's 55 million. That jump would suggest a, a, a massive leap in quality, consistency, all of the things that, that perhaps dogged him a little bit at Chelsea and stopped him from getting into that team. So I think certainly you have to expect some kind of betting in period for him a little bit slower. The good thing is, is that compared to someone <clears throat> like Baba Raman, who we keep going back to, at least De Bruyne's played in the Premier League. He understands the kind of finer details of things and, and how it operates. So the, there'll be less of a period, I would have thought, needed for him to try and adjust. Um, but I think overall you have to, to commend Man City in the same way that we lamented Chelsea there and say that they got their business done relatively quickly they identified the problems that they needed and they pursued the target that they felt addressed the problems and I think De Bruyne addresses the problems that they've got at right wing which is a lack of a service and a lack of quality with, with Navas. Uh, another team obviously uh, heavily involved in the, in the transfer uh, market is Manchester United now they they continue to be linked to a couple of different names they've made some moves they brought in some players and yet they go down to the Liberty Stadium and they lose to Swansea two one. Gomis with the with the winning goal, and the uh, we all we'll always have Louis Van Hall's face after that match. Some fan took a picture of him coming out of the stadium, and he did not look too happy. Um, what uh, you know, obviously, Wayne Rooney is a focus here uh, because so much is on his shoulders, and yet he doesn't seem to quite have it uh, at the previous level. Maybe he can't carry that team anymore. Where where are the problems for Manchester United? Uh, I think it's the lack of pace. Um, <laughs> It's it's akin almost to Chelsea in that sense. Essentially, there there is no pace in that team. The only real outlets I see is Matteo Damian and Luke Shaw, um, and equally the players ahead of them in in midfield. 
the likes of Memphis Depay, they're not willing to take players on or they're, they're not looking to take players on. I think Paul Scholes was very uh, correct in saying that Manchester United players are almost known for taking risks in the final third, for attacking them and for putting them under pressure. If, if you keep laying the ball back every time you receive it on the left wing or the right wing, you're not going to give your fullback any nightmares at all. If anything, it's, it's going to be a relatively easy game for him. The, the, the difficulty you put him in is when you start to run at him and you start to make him commit to challenges and have to try and guess which way you're going to go. And that's the problem for, for Manchester United I've seen so far is that it's not even just uh, the speed of players across the ground. It's the speed the ball moves. It's far too slow, far too ponderous. Um, and it allows teams with any kind of semblance of organisation defensively to really keep them out. That was one of the reasons I thought Newcastle were able to get a, a clean sheet the week before. Mm-hmm. The reason that I think Swansea were, were rarely troubled, really, against them on, on Sunday. And I think that's something that, that Van Hal needs to address. Now, whether that's with the signing of Martial from Monaco, it remains to be seen. But I think he'll give them at least an injection of pace in, in, in the forward line, which I think is something they could do with, given that Rooney and, and Hernandez, who obviously looks off as well, doesn't really seem to have that asset in their locker. Mm. Uh, there are a lot of rumors around Javier Hernandez right now, perhaps a move to Spain coming. Also heard some links to West Ham, obviously. Um, the, in this particular match, I, I didn't get a lot to see a lot of it, uh, Christian. I watched a little bit. Uh, I, you know, I, obviously, Bastian Schweinsteiger was on the field. He was a, a, a high-profile move for Manchester United. How did, how did he fit in particularly? I mean, I, I, don't, I, I don't want to judge on the few minutes I saw, but he certainly looked uh, like it was a little too much for him physically? Am I wrong about that? No, I think, look, there's certainly been slight issues with that in terms of the, the physical nature of the Premier League and, and Schweinsteiger dealing with that. Now, the fact that Pep Guardiola said when he left that he hasn't been fit for three years, that would have been a huge red flag to me if I was a Manchester United fan because <clears throat> while by no means has he been a player that has defined his career by his physical presence, when you're moving to a league that is notoriously physical, and I always use the example of Jeremy Jones, who said that he thought he was fit in the Bundesliga, and then he arrived in the Premier League and realised he was nowhere near fit enough. That, to me, tells you a story about the differences in speed and of play and, and physicality in the Premier League. It's not to say it's better, just that it's different. And I think the fact that you're asking Schweinsteiger to move at a fairly late point in his career to adjust the speed of play with which he's used to having also had fitness issues, that's a lot to overcome, irrespective of the fact that the fee was so relatively low for play with his resume in football. I think that's something that, that needed to be considered, and it simply wasn't. And I look at that squad as well, and, and you've got Michael Carrick there as well, and I just see very similar types of player, and I'm not sure what the benefit of, of bringing someone in of that age was. Maybe if it was Tony Cruz a, a few years ago, I can understand because he's, he's young enough to grow into that position and learn the league and, and what have you. But for me, Schweinsteiger just felt like buying a name because it was available. Um, and I think in the long term, I think they're going to struggle to, to see that pan out as a good signing for them, if I'm honest. Uh, let's elsewhere uh, results Liverpool. 3 uh, nothing against West Ham. Uh, losers at home at Anfield. The pressure obviously mounting on Brendan Rodgers. Uh, lots of questions about his squad selection. Lovren taking a lot of heat, obviously making mistakes that have hurt Liverpool. Where do the where do things sit on Merseyside at the moment for you? I think they sit in between a, a period of growth. Um, the problems of last season, I think, they looked as if they were largely overcome in the first two games because the defence, while shaky at times, was able to keep that clean sheet. 
but ultimately we saw what seemed like the embodiment of last season in 90 minutes for, for Liverpool defensively. They were incredibly poor. Dejan Lovren in, in particular had an absolute nightmare um, between the second goal and trying step overs as he was leading the ball out of defence. It was just atrocious. I think the only kind of comfort you can give Liverpool fans is that, look, West Ham went to Arsenal and did something similar in the sense that they they took it to Arsenal and they beat them. And I think we're seeing a West Ham side that are very difficult to gauge at the minute because we often saw them as quite a deep side that would sit in their own half and try and frustrate you. Whereas now, because of the signings they've made, the likes of Dimitri Payet, they're able to come out, they're able to play football and they want to, to play with the ball um, and hold the ball and actually spring quickly on, on teams. Um, and that's something that I think a lot of opponents are going to be shocked by in the early kind of weeks and months of this season. And Liverpool are no different. I think the fact that Coutinho was sent off didn't help. That's going to compound things further. Um, and I think essentially what Liverpool have now is a test. They've got a test to show how resilient they are mentally um, and how they're going to deal with the obstacles that present themselves this season. Mm-hmm. Manchester United at Old Trafford coming up. Um, on the 12th, so obviously after the international break, Liverpool doesn't, they don't have it too easy, although, again, Manchester United losing, so this will be an opportunity for both clubs to try to reclaim some of the momentum early on in the season. Uh, speaking of momentum, it doesn't seem like Arsenal has a lot, but they do get a win, they get a benefit, the benefit of a Colacini own goal at Newcastle. Um, you know, the, the same old story for, for Arsenal, because uh, it's a lot of, well, they just don't play to their level, they don't they don't seem to be uh, in rhythm, and, and maybe they'll find that. But uh, this is, I don't know if it should be troubling. Three points is three points, especially now. But uh, with the transfer window closing and Arsenal still uh, still a questionable side in terms of their strength to win the title, what does this mean? I think if they could sign on goal to a six-year contract, I'd advise them <laughs> to do that because uh, he's been quite helpful the early weeks of the season. I think... The issues with them are arguably the issues we've been discussing for the last few years. There's not a striker at that football club presently that you would say can lead them to the title. Um, I think you look at Olivier Giroud's performance, the fact that that last kind of minute chance he had against Tim Krull where he tries to chip him and he completely fluffs it. I just think a better striker scores that opportunity. He doesn't kind of mess around, um, for want of a more poetic phrase. And that's the issue for them is that they're, they're just not scoring goals. And the concern is, is that a lot of teams have outspent them. Um, I mean, they had a, a, an advantage over Newcastle for something like 60-odd minutes, and they could only produce one goal via a deflection. That's just not good enough for a team that is supposedly aspiring for the Premier League title. You can say they got the job done, but I think that applies more when you're down to 10 men rather than your opposition have the 10 men. Um, and, and that's the concern, if, if I'm an Arsenal fan, is that this summer Petr Cech's been the only notable signing. Yes, that addresses a problem of, of needing a stable goalkeeper who has that winning mentality, has that experience of having performed at the highest level and, and can organise the defence somewhat. But then you need to address the problems at the other end of the field because for me, the, the fact that really you're looking at, if it's not Giroud, maybe Welbeck to come in and do something. I, I don't fancy Welbeck enough either to think that he's going to get them 15, maybe 20 goals this season. Um, and then you've got the the added problems of, of Ramsey and, and where he fits in. Does he play on the right? Because he doesn't seem to really suit that wide position and it's not really where he's shone most for them. But you've got the, the seemingly stable partnership of Cazola and Coquelin in the middle. It's, it's a lot of 
pieces that don't really seem to fit into the jigsaw right now and it's it's proving a little bit of an awkward squeeze for Arsene Wenger now. I don't envy his his position in the minute though. So. All right, so we're taking a look at the rest of these scores. Uh, Tottenham Everton playing to a, a goalish draw. Tim Howard having to step up in that game and, and save his team a point. It remains unclear exactly what direction Everton is headed in. They obviously have the Stones uh, drama within the, the fan base. They're, they're, they're turning on him because of the transfer request, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, do, you, um, do you believe Everton will, will find some joy? I mean, uh, again, drawing with Tottenham, not a poor result, especially uh, at White Hart Lane. But there's uh, they're they're not as uh, they're they're really not as convincing as as you might think other or you might hope otherwise. No, I I think they're caught in a bit of a dilemma in the sense that the fans really want them to strengthen. I think ideally Roberto Martinez, excuse me, would want to strengthen as well. But the problem is the only opportunity he's going to have to do that is by selling John Stones. And Bill Kenwright, credit to him, he's always been very honest in, in kind of telling Martinez that I'll always try and buy who you want me to. That may not always be the case, but I'll never sell anyone you want me to keep. And I think he stuck true to that promise with John Stones because there's been a lot of money offered for that young man. Um, and he is a very talented defender, of course, but I've seen lesser owners and lesser chairman bend to, to that kind of pressure. In the public eye, especially, I think you know the, the courting of John Stones by Chelsea has been very public. And They'll get a, a good look up close personal at him when when the Premier League returns mid next you know next September, uh, in in mid September excuse me, and I think that's where you'll possibly see a little bit of of where Martinez is thinking because as I say the only chance he's going to get to strengthen that team is to sell someone like John Stones um, because their business this this summer has been quite small in terms of it's the return of Delafeo who they already knew mm-hmm. what he was like cleverly on a free transfer who now looks injured unfortunately after that uh, ankle knock that he's picked up at Spurs so you, you're looking for maybe a big name signing someone like Lukaku who again I think broke the club's transfer record but there's just no money to do it and you know it's, it's so difficult because as a neutral you sit in the middle and, and you completely see where Everton's fans frustrations are because they've got this great piece of the jigsaw to fit there in John Stone's and they just want to spend more money, but there's no money there to be spent. And you can see the friction and understand it. I think perhaps the the TV money might help them in the coming years, but even then, it's it is a difficult position for Everton, and one they found themselves in all too often. Yeah, it's 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 interesting to see Everton fans sort of reject the notion that they're pigeonholed into a particular place within the Premier League hierarchy, Kristen. I mean, this is a, you know, obviously from an outsider standpoint, sitting across an ocean, it's easy for me, with, with no rooting interest, easy for, for me to say, well, that's just where they slot in. They slot in at, at 10, you know, and if they, don't, uh, if they don't sell someone like Stones, they're never going to be able to spend any more money to try to strengthen and maybe get to seven or, or four in an incredible type of season, one that is magic in a bottle. So... Uh, is that is this the fans deluding themselves a bit in your mind, or should they be pushing Kenwright and and Everton to be more aggressive because otherwise they're always going to be that mid table team? I see why they're they're striving for that sporting integrity. Um, I mean, you know, Everton have also signed Mason Holgate this transfer window. It's funny enough, a, a defender from Barnsley for a million pounds. So. Perhaps we're already looking at the next John Stones. It would seem that was certainly what they're trying to do is, is plan for the, the next John Stones. I think the difficulty fans face, it's, it's almost like trying to build an engine and selling the spark plugs to fix the, the alternator. It's, 
a difficult balancing act of trying to, to fund the next generation. And, and they're not the only team that does it, in fairness. There's a number of teams now that are um, selling clubs in that sense. Um, Newcastle springs to mind as, mm-hmm. as being one. Um, I think even to a degree, you could argue Tottenham are a selling club. They sold Gareth Bale to fund the transfers that came after him. Same with, with Modric. I think you can. the problem is you can push Kenrot as much as you want, but he's not hiding the money. Um, it's It's not... Like, for example, Newcastle, where the owner is choosing not to spend when he could spend. Ken Wright just doesn't have the money. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think if, if it was there, he would, because by all accounts, he, he adores that football club. Um, there's the story of him weeping when they had to sell Wayne Rooney to Manchester United, or when he agreed to sell Wayne Rooney to, to Manchester United, because he does care. And I think sometimes we forget about that. We, we almost reduce football clubs to balance sheets and and see ambition solely as what did you spend this summer? Who did you bring in? And if you didn't kind of tick the boxes, then you don't have ambition and you lack sporting integrity, which I think is a shade unfair because it's a difficult job these men do. All right, last uh, last thing on the Premier League here, and then I just want to get a couple of thoughts from you on the, on MLS this weekend. Uh, it is transfer deadline day, last day of, of August. Um, you know, I'm looking at some of the things that are trickling, trickling across the the wire uh, in terms of rumors. We have um, uh, Anthony Mart- Martial, uh, who may be joining Manchester United. You, you did uh, bring him up earlier, whether or not he's a, a solution for their problems at striker. Do you expect anything else, anybody to do a bit of business on the final day? I, I can't see a significant amount of business being done. It seems like the clubs who were looking to, the likes of Man United and Chelsea, are, are going to get it done today, if, if not early tomorrow. Um, Chelsea obviously bringing in that, the norms defender to, to kind of supplement their back line. The only one I'm looking at is, as possibly being a big last day mover is Charlie Austin. Um, because there's been so much hype about, you know, when will he go? Now it's a case of if he will go. Um, and, you know, poor Chris, Chris Ramsey, he spent the whole summer saying he doesn't expect Ramsey, uh, Austin, excuse me, to, to be there come early September. And it turns out there's a good chance, actually, he will be, um, which I'm sure he's not complaining about at all. This is a striker of his quality in that league is, is something not to be sniffed at. But I'd be very surprised if, if anything huge broke on the last day now because the time is so fine. And, and because of that, you end up paying absolutely through the nose um, for any player that you do want to bring in. I'm seeing things about Alexander Pato to Tottenham, which would just be, I don't know, that would make me laugh a little bit. All right, let's, uh, let's move over to, to MLS, uh, before I have to let you go, Christian. And, uh, you know, obviously we talked, uh, we have rivalry week, which is MLS's, uh, move to try to market some, some more heated games, uh, here in the last couple of weeks of the season with, uh, with, uh, less than 10 games to go for most of these teams. The, I think the biggest result, I mean, L- LA loses on Friday night to San Jose. That's San Jose keeping their run going. LA struggling on the road again. But I think I think the Red Bulls sent a message. I know they lost to, to the fire in the mid, in midweek on the road, but three nothing against the top team in the East DC United uh, kind of indicates that where they're going at this moment, they're going to track down DC United. What was the most impressive uh, element of that match for you? Uh, I think just again the speed and the, more the fluency with which uh, Red Bulls play with now. I mean that that right Phillips goal the. The innovation of, of Mike Grella to pull out that cross and then just the confidence of Wright Phillips to volley it in, in the way that he did. I think you're seeing a team that's, that before was, it was very much about pace and kind of overwhelming the opponent um, in a flurry. You saw that with Toronto. They really did just kind of hit them so hard that Toronto were a little bit shell-shocked. 
now you're starting to see the understanding that's come with the time of the season kind of progressing on and on. And I really would be frightened to face the Red Bulls in the playoffs um, if I was any of those teams now. Because to me, they look just such an organised unit. And it's great that this week is the town hall meeting. Um, given that that you know the history of the town hall meeting with with Red Bulls back in January and then what that record you know symbolised, I'm curious to see what the um, the ambiance and the mood is like this time around. I imagine a lot more positive because this team looks brilliant, and you've still got players like Veron to come in, who mm-hmm. I again I thought linked well with the team last night. Beautiful little touch um, on the byline towards the end to, to skip past. I think it was Sean Franklin. And it just seems like a, a well-organized franchise for the first time in however long. Um, we're not uttering that so metro most weekends now. We're, we're actually starting to see a team that really could actually lift an MLS cup. Okay, like we can't hit the whole league here, but let me uh, let let's let's touch on LA briefly. Um, you know, again, they've looked so good, but it's it's mostly been at home. They did they did pull out a couple of road wins over the last month or so, Christian. But they go on the road against their biggest rival. And they can't put the ball in the net. Uh, now that was some de- some of that was down to Bingham, who made some some nice saves. But uh, if LA is going to win a title, I kind of want to see them be able to go and, and win a game like that, especially against a team. And, and uh, again, San Jose has been playing well, but especially against a team who they should be able to to take down fairly simply. Of course, I think. Look, those games on the surface. I think the problem is is that we we see them as potentially winnable games because San Jose prior to this little spurt of form that they had. And again, men's credit to Dominic Kinnear. I, I don't know how he consistently does this, this kind of late surge um, towards the playoffs. But you have to remember, it's rivalry. This is a, a rivalry game. And in that sense, to borrow a sheet from the, the English book of football cliche, the form is, is kind of inconsequential because yeah. it's about that moment and who wants it. Um, and I think that's been the problem, is that as, as beautiful as... Galaxy are to watch at times. I just question if there's grit in that team. Um, if there's kind of just that little bit of fight and that little bit of oomph, you know, that yeah. kind of there's almost not a word for it. I don't think in English. Yeah. And I think it's missing sometimes with them. And you're completely right in saying if, if they're going to make any kind of consistent run in this playoff picture, they're going to need to address that because they can't just expect to win four or five goals at home every single round yeah. to get them to the final. Um, and equally, you know, the final is a one-off game and you could come unstuck there if, if the team just has some of that kind of San Jose aura about them. And that's something that, that I think Arena will need to address. But if anyone is able to kind of fix a problem mid-season, um, I think it's it's Bruce Arena because he is just so kind of, you know, able to evolve. He's he's a, a brilliant coach and there's a reason he's collected as many MLS Cups as, as he has. Well, I mean, look, they've, they've won their Cups at home uh, in recent years. I mean, they've, they've, been, they've been the host uh, each time out, and uh, we know that the, the hosting uh, rights go to the, the club with the highest number of points come the final, and right now they're in the lead for the Supporter Shield and, and would have that, that right, but, uh, you know, New York's coming on. They have three games in hand on L.A., and if they come out of the East, you know, if, if, the, if L.A. has to go on the road for the, for the final, I'm not even saying that they're going to get there, but if they have to go on the road for the final, it changes the equation dramatically all right we've had a good chat with christian hanej he's uh on twitter find him k-h-e-n-e-a-g-e uh covers um obviously premier league and mls and does a magnificent job christian i appreciate you've saved the show because it was a disaster to start uh but we've had a good discussion and we'll talk to you soon 
it's never a disaster, mate. You can check out my MLS roundup as well. It goes up today for Yahoo. A few discussion points on there, and hopefully I'll speak to you soon. There you go. Go check that out at Yahoo Sports. Thanks a lot for the chat. Let's take a break. When we come back, we'll open the phone lines on a Monday. Talk to you. Apparently there's a name for that September 10th game or October 10th game. It's called the CONCACAF Cup. Okay, sure. Be right back. This Friday, the U.S. Men's National Team returns to action when it takes on Peru at RFK Stadium in an exhibition game. For a different experience, I'd like to invite you to mute the TV and listen to Matt Lichtenstager on Rabble.tv as he shares his thoughts and analysis live during the International Friendly. With Rabble, the concept is simple. All you have to do is tune into the broadcast on TV, press the mute button, and then head on over to Rabble.tv to listen to the broadcast on your desktop, through your iOS app, and now through your mobile browser. You can join in, too, by posting your questions or observations in the comments section. And if you have an iPhone, install the Rabble TV app and add a comment to the broadcast message board, then listen live via the app. Or why don't you create your own broadcast called one of your team's games? It's easy. Sign up for free today and try it out. Join Matt this Friday at 7 p.m. Eastern for USA against Peru on Rabble.tv, where it's your team and your call. Welcome back to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk with Jason Davis. Here we are back on a Monday edition of Soccer Morning on WorldSoccerTalk.com. Thank you for joining us. Thanks to Christian Hennage for his uh, chat with us on the Premier League and MLS. We've got a lot of MLS to talk about. Whatever is on your mind on a Monday, drop it in here. 646-832-3909 is the phone number. Again, I, I teased it going into the break there. Uh, we have a name for the October 10th showdown between the United States and Mexico at the Rose Bowl, Pasadena, California, for the right to go to the Confederation Cup in 2017, and it is the CONCACAF Cup. Now, that's like a side note to an announcement that uh, they're going with, CONCACAF's going with uh, Soccer United Marketing to promote that game, to market that game, as opposed to Traffic Sports. Obviously, Traffic Sports suffering from a lot of... um, Controversy these days in light of the indictments from the U.S. Department of Justice. Uh, so this uh, this is a, a, a move back into the CONCACAF good graces for Soccer United Marketing, who, remember, was dropped as the Gold Cup marketer for traffic not that long ago. So they benefit from this. Yeah. Start your conspiracy theories now. Get them rolling. But this is the CONCACAF Cup? Do we need to name it? Why do we need to name it? And like Trevor said... Why not go with Conca Cup? I think Conca Cup works. It's got a ring to it. They already go with uh, what? Where they go? Conca Conca Champions down there in uh, in Latin America. Could have gone. Could have gone with something a little bit more clever. The and come on, the Conca Calf Cup, please. Let's go to Rhode Island. Not sure who this is. Who's this? Oh. Edmund from Rhode Island. What's going on, man? I want to talk about the crew, and I want to ask your thoughts on um, their chances in the playoffs. I think they're pretty good. You know, I, uh, I did my power rankings for ESPNFC.com this morning, and they'll be up later, so you can uh, yell at me on Twitter about those in a couple of hours. 
but you know, Columbus, you know, look, NYCFC isn't the biggest, you know, pelt. It's not like they've taken down the the the, uh, the galaxy, but they're four they're they're four unbeaten at this point. Uh, they beat Kansas City last week. Now everybody's beating Kansas City, but still, and you beat you know you, all you, all you can do is beat the teams in front of you. I think they're finding something. I like look. I think Justin Merrim is probably he probably deserves to to start, but Cedric starting with Justin Merrim coming off the bench was obviously a huge boost for them yesterday. I'm sorry, Saturday. And if you can have something, some sort of firepower like that on the bench, then that makes you a dangerous team. I think I think they look pretty good to make a run here. I, I you know looking at the Eastern Conference. I don't know if I would have them a favorite to make the to make the Eastern Conference final right now, but they're in a mix that includes, you know, the Red Bulls. I think are are, are a favorite to do that. But beyond that, it's New England, Columbus. I don't know about Toronto. the The, the defense is bad, but the, they score so many goals. We'll see what Jovinko's injury status is. And DC United, I don't think he's convincing anybody. So I think they're pretty good. Are you still picking uh, Sporting KC to win the MLS Cup? Did I pick them? Yeah, you did pick them did earlier I? in the season. Uh, <laughs> well, I feel bad if I go back on it, but they're not looking. They're not looking good right now, are they? Uh, you know, four, no, not at all. And they're gonna. And, you know, the way things are going, they're four points off uh, or five points off of Vancouver with a couple games in hand for that second spot. And I think a team like Sporting, you you really don't want to go into uh, that one off playoff game to start to start. I mean, if you end up with a home match, okay, fine. And right now they would have a home match against. Portland, if everything stayed the same, that that's a benefit. But we've seen them getting beat at home, so you know they need to they need to buck up here. I mean, Peter Vermees is criticizing the referees after they lose to Colorado. That sounds to me like cracks. Like like yeah, okay, maybe the refs are bad, but if you're a good team, you still win that game. You still find a way to beat a bad team or beat a a, a last place team at the time in Colorado. So I'm worried about Sporting, but I'll I'll stick with them for the time being. I just want to say one last thing. Uh, I think Pirlo and Lampard probably make more than our whole team. Just those two players. More than Columbus. Probably, yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I think that's probably true. They're both on something like seven or eight million bucks, right? I mean, they're they're in that area. That's that's yeah, that's, that's fifteen million dollars. That's that's uh, Kai yeah. Kamara only makes three hundred thousand. Oh, I know. I know. And Kai Kamara, you know, again, you're paying for the name. Not necessarily what they can do in the league, and Kai Kamara has been brilliant. The best, I mean, even at this point, with some of the other players have come, even with Sebastian Legette and everything he's done for for LA, and maybe you put him in a different category. The best signing coming into the season is Kai Kamara. The best move made by anybody is Columbus signing Kai Kamara because of what he has meant for them, scoring goals. When last year, all we talked about was how they didn't have uh, an out and out striker who could put the ball in the net. And here they are. All right. Thank you, Jason. I appreciate it, man. That's a good call. All right. It's a good way to start off a Monday edition of the program. On the call-in uh, portion of the program, 646-832-3909. We are, as here, we are here for as long as you want us to be here. We also have the U.S. Men's National Team roster to talk about. I, I hit it off the top of the show, which you didn't hear live because we had tech issues. You'll get it on the podcast version. But you got Tim Howard back, Jeff Cameron back. Matt Beasler back, Jermaine Jones back. In the, at the same time, no Fabian Johnson injured, no Timmy Chandler knee surgery, which I don't think anybody's going to be crying any tears over, uh, no Demarcus Beasley, also injury, and no uh, Beckerman or Ramondo from RSL uh, injuries there as well, or, or Knox at least. 
your roster for the U.S. men's national team in these games coming up against Peru and Brazil. The first of them happening this Friday against Peru. Guzan, Howard, and Yarborough. Yarborough is going to leave the team after the Peru match and be replaced by Sean Johnson. Ventura Alvarado, uh, Matt Beasler, John Brooks, Jeff Cameron, Greg Garza, uh, who I don't believe has been playing much for Atlas, Omar Gonzalez, Michael Orozco, and Tim Ream. Tim Ream seems to have fully made his way back into the team. Now he's back. Uh, now he has made that transfer to Fulham. We'll see how his season goes uh, there at the cottage. Alejandro Bedoya, Joe Corona, Mix Discarude, Jermaine Jones, Alfredo Morales, Danny Williams, and DeAndre Yedlin are your midfielders. Interesting to see Yedlin uh, listed as a midfielder. I mean, no surprise, maybe, but uh, this seems to be uh, just confirming that his transition to the midfield has been complete, at least in terms of the national team. Got no problem with Bedoya. No problem, really, with Corona, although he hasn't shown that well with the national team recently. Mixed Discrude continues to be an enigma for a lot of people. Jermaine Jones coming back in and listed as a midfielder. I suppose he could play somewhere else, but we've seen Klinsman try him at, full, uh, at, at center back. Didn't necessarily work out the best. And he's aging, and he's not going to be part of this team in Russia, I don't imagine. So is he a player you really should be leaning on here? And you've got Morales and Williams in this team. Where is, um, you know, where is the real creative force in the midfield? Uh, no Michael Bradley, by the way. He'll stay with Toronto for their next match and join the team ahead of the Brazil game. Forwards, uh, that's the same for Clint Dempsey, by the way, since uh, and I'll, when I go through the forwards, he's not there. Josie Altador, a return after being dropped during the Gold Cup. Aaron Johansson, Bobby Wood, who's uh, settled in at Union Berlin. Andrew Wooten, his first senior call-up. He started the season very hot for Sandhausen in the two Bundesliga. And Giassi Zardes from the LA Galaxy. Thoughts on this team? I mean, I, I'm, not, I'm not overly thrilled. Uh, based on what happened at the Gold Cup, I don't look at this team and go, this is a step forward or this is a change. And, and he, he, Jurgen Klinsmann really can't make a whole lot of big wholesale changes in this team. I mean, we're not going to see an introduction of a bunch of players who haven't been here before. The, the only introduction you have, the only guy who's never featured for the national team at the senior level is Andrew Wooten, as far as I can tell. And they need goal scorers. And uh, I, I guess if he's putting them in, in in Germany, he's as good an option as any. Uh, you know, no Chris Wondolowski, that kind of thing. That seems to be a little bit of progress. Defensively, if he sticks with Alvarado and Brooks, man, uh, are we really convinced about that? I'm obviously worried based on what happened in the Gold Cup, and you should be too. If Klinsman seems committed to Ventura Alvarado when all uh, all evidence is that he's not ready for this stage and he's not ready to be uh, to be a starter for the U.S. national team as an entrenched starter. I mean, maybe Gonzalez gets some time over the last, next two friendlies leading into the CONCACAF Cup and we see something different when the United States takes on Mexico uh, at the Rose Bowl on October 10th. Maybe that's, uh, maybe that's a change coming. Matt Beasler, can he regain some of the confidence that Klinsman had in him prior Last year during the world during the, during the World Cup, can he get back to that level? Michael Orozco, where, what is his role in this team? Is he a second choice player out and out, or will he have a chance to start, perhaps play significant minutes in one of these games? I don't imagine so. Jeff Cameron, where is his? Where is he playing? Is he going to play? Is he going to play fullback? You don't have a clear right back in this team. It's gonna. It's probably gonna end up being Jeff Cameron, Alvarado, center back, Beasler, center back, Brooks, center back, Greg Garza. Left back, Omar Gonzalez, center back, Michael Orozco, center back, Tim Ream can play on the right. Your choices for right back and this team are Tim Ream, 
and Jeff Cameron, neither one of whom is a natural fullback, neither one of whom is going to be much of a threat going forward. Offensively sound, maybe. We know what Tim Ream can do with the ball at his feet. He has uh, good ball skills. He seems to be more comfortable with the ball at his feet than, than most of the American defenders, and the same is true of, of Jeff Cameron. These are guys who fit that mold, but again, going forward, do they give you much? There's not a lot of speed there. Is DeAndre Yedlin going to see some time at fullback? Richard in Philadelphia. What's up, my friend? Hey, Jason. What's going on? Uh, talking soccer. What's, uh, what's going on with you? Uh, uh, talk about the Union on Saturday. Okay. I have little faith that they're going to win the U.S. Super Cup after Saturday's performance. They, they would just, they, they can't close games. And I'm, and I'm starting to agree with with, with Tannehill was on your show. He's saying like, he, we, as a fan, I don't trust them to win. I don't trust them to finish things out. So going against what they say now is the hottest team in soccer, and unless it's Sporting Kansas City, I don't. I have little faith going into this Open Cup final for them. Well, I mean uh, that's that's all they've got, right? I mean I, they're they're on 27 points. They're only two points back of a playoff spot, and yet you still get the sense that. This is not going to, you know, the the playoffs aren't really in their future. So if you have, if you don't have anything else, you got to put it all into the Open Cup. Uh, I know Maidana is going to be in trouble for what he did on the weekend. I don't know if this is going to uh, garner a bigger, a longer suspension for him or not. I don't know if that affects the Open Cup, to be honest with you. Um, but but I mean, there's the the league is taking away from the enthusiasm. Is this true of everybody in the fan base? Yeah, I. Depends who you talk to, I know, but if you really get down to it, yeah, it's a lot of people who just go, this team is just breaking our hearts every day, and going to the Super Cup final, optimism abounds, like, they don't know if we can take, really believe that they're going to pull it out. Like, I don't know if they will, that's, that's tough for me. You know, we're looking again at a situation, I mean, this happened, what, two years ago? DC United was going through one of the worst seasons in MLS history, I mean, the Union aren't even there, they're just having a bad year. But DC United was going through one of the worst seasons in MLS history. They managed to make it all the way to the U.S. Open Cup Final. They actually had to go on the road to RSL for the Open Cup Final. Remember, they won that game. I'm trying to think of who scored the goal. Was it Lewis Neal who scored that goal to win the game? I think so, yeah. Yeah, to win the Open Cup for, for DC United. And we, we spent the next six months going, oh, my God, they're going to be in the, in the Champions League. It's going to be a disaster. It's going to be so terrible. And then all they did was manage to put together a first-place finish in the Eastern Conference and get into the knockout rounds of the Champions League. Now, they didn't, you know, obviously didn't put together a deep run, uh, but they didn't embarrass themselves either. Maybe that's, maybe that's in Philadelphia's future, Richard. Maybe that's what you should be hoping for. Find a way to win the Open Cup. Scrap it out as much as you can. Get, you know, get a goal. Find a way. And then Champions League, maybe. And you get more money. I mean, you get more allocation money from MLS when you go into the Champions League. Maybe that can be the jumping-off point for a... An, app, app, an actual improvement for Philadelphia going into 2016. Yeah, and I said that to somebody because I think because somebody brought it up, like DC won the Open Cup and then just reshaped the roster. I don't see the Union doing that, knowing exactly what's in the front office. Well, okay, maybe if they win. Yeah, well, if if Nicky Sack feels um, emboldened <laughs> with an Open Cup title, maybe he does do that. But they, yeah, we, we're talking about questionable decision making. But, it, you know, again, DC United proves it can be done. You may have questions about the competence of the people running the club, but DC United proves it can be done. And it, they prove that it can be done on a budget, too. 
Richard. I mean, yeah, the, the, that's the lifeline for Philadelphia. While this league seems to be separating along money lines, and we're watching the LA Galaxy pull away a bit, and and maybe Seattle, who's obviously not playing well right now, and is going through a really rough patch, maybe Seattle becomes a, a super club on some level. Uh, we still have teams that can compete if they're smart about the way that they spend their money. Uh, I'm just looking at the schedule coming up for Philadelphia. They go to San Jose. Then they've got Columbus. Then home to Houston. Uh, then away to New England. And then that Open Cup final closing out September. All draws. Uh, all of all them draws. draws. <laughs> well, I mean, like if you get a draw on the road at San Jose, that's a good result these days. Uh, beating yeah. you know, uh, beating Columbus won't be easy. Beating Houston, yeah, uh, that might that might not be easy. Although uh, you know that's a game that they should be targeting. Going away to New England, that's going to be tough. And as we said, the Sporting Kansas City U.S. Open Cup final, lots to do between now and that Open Cup final, though. Yeah, that's true. All right, man. I don't know. Uh, you know, hey, I, did you see that? Go ahead. Well, I was going to say one more thing. Did you see that kid get teased at the NYCFC game? Oh no! You know what? I meant to put that on uh, my list of talking points this morning, and I failed. Uh, I, I need to go back and look at it. I. I I think I might have favorited a tweet or something, but uh, do, I did. Do we know what happened? I, I, I just read that as usual NYCFC security that's with fans, and then that guy got tased. But that's general around the league. Even in Philadelphia, they still have, even in Philadelphia, there's still security guards don't know how to handle soccer fans. That's a league wide issue that no one seems to want to fix or know how to fix. Yeah, the NYCFC just on a bigger scale. You know, I, I it, look. W- if we watch the video, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and do that now, just to to get my catch myself up. But you watch, if you watch the video, I don't want. I mean, it's what it's like. It's like boom, a very quick video, right? A kid, get, kid gets tasered. Now, yeah, I don't like that element of force being used by by security, especially or with these cops, with these with the security or cops. I look like they're secure, not secure cops. Okay. I mean, without context, without knowing what he did, I don't know if I should be sitting here in judge. You know what I'm saying? I don't know if I should be making a big comment about it. As you said, though, there does seem to be a problem with the way that, uh, the way that, that, that police and security are handling soccer fans, and there needs to be an education. But this is, I mean, this is, this is yeah. like, it's two seconds. You know, it's two seconds and it loops. So I, I have no idea what led up to this. I, I don't know if he punched a cop. I don't know if he, you know, I, I don't know what he was doing. So it's hard for me to judge. All right. That's All true. Right, All right. Appreciate the call, Richard. Thanks a lot. I think a lot. All right. There goes uh, Richard. All right. Last call for phone call. 646-832-3909 is the phone number if you want to jump in. If you have thoughts on, again, on, on what happened with that NYCFC fan. It's not. It's impossible to know. I need. I, I need to get. And even if we, even if we got somebody who was there, you know, a, a first-hand account only goes so far. I, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not absolving the police of responsibility if they tase the kid and shouldn't have. And there certainly is a general problem, and we can make that commentary with the way that fans are treated by security. But there are also lines that fans have to be careful not to cross. And if this is a situation where this fan, particular fan, crossed some line, it, I don't know. I'm not I'm, again. I don't like the taser. I think that's wrong. There are other ways to handle that. I think tasering is a should be a, a a last resort for police. I think too often it gets pulled out when it's not necessary or when the situation doesn't necessarily call for it because it's simple. 
because it commands compliance and it, it creates compliance, but I just, uh, it's the ugly situation. Very, very ugly situation. And uh, this has been obviously a couple of weeks now where we've had issues with NYCFC fans, both the, the fight with the Rebel fans, now this. This can't become a trend. It can't. Soccer fans have to be better, and teams and, uh, and groups, uh, fan groups need to reach out and work with law enforcement and security to, to create some sort of understanding as to why these things, how these things can be better handled. Say it that way. All right. Let's wrap up this edition of Soccer Morning on a Monday. It's been rough. It really has been, but we've got through it, and we had a good chat with Christian Hedge Earlier in the show, if you missed any of it, make sure you go back and listen to the podcast. There's actually the news. It made the podcast. It didn't make the live show for various reasons, but it's there uh, for your listening pleasure. Make sure you go to backheel.com slash store to buy yourself a Soccer Morning mug. It's over there. I can't reach it, so it's, yeah. And uh, T-shirts and everything else, and Soccer Morning on YouTube as well. All right, that's it. We'll talk to you guys uh, tomorrow. U.S. Men's National Team gearing up for a couple of friendlies. That'll be talking point uh, all week long. We'll have guests leading up. we European qualifiers as well. Lots to talk about. Soccer Morning, WorldSoccerTalk.com. I'll see you later. Bye. Did my invitations disappear? Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.